Hello, so I'm Alex Safe Cummings from Georgia State University, and I'm here in my mom's um, bedroom closet recording <laughs> a, a really interesting discussion that we're going to have today. Uh, welcome to the tactile world. And I'm Jeremy Rain Dreyfus, and I am currently working as a caregiver. Yeah. So I think that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I'm absolutely. happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Very happy to have you here. Um, I, you have such a, a rich and varied and, and interesting career, and I want to get into that. But I guess um, just to start, like I'd like to ask um, where where you grew up and maybe where you're coming from. I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia. My dad was a scientist at Union Carbide. He uh, he worked with the Manhattan Project in New York and Columbia, and then they sent him to. Charleston and so I used to talk like this we grew up in Charleston and uh, went to school went to Michigan State University uh, moved to New York to be an actress moved to LA with an actor um, I got a job as a writer producer first at NBC and then at CBS when I married Richard Dreyfuss and quit <laughs> my career which I regret I wish I had and we have three great kids and we're divorced I'm the first wife he's on his third and I found that I had to go back to work. So I was lucky to be able, at, I'm 72, so I was lucky at my age to find work. Yeah, um, first of all, I don't remember if we've talked about this, but I'm from Charleston, West Virginia. No, you're not. I am, <laughs> that's where I was born. Um, it's a, Me too. Yeah, and probably like, maybe probably the same hospital. Um, Charleston Memorial, whatever the heck it's called. Yep. Um, I know. I lived in West Virginia. Uh, well, I lived in West Virginia until I was about six, and then we moved to Indiana and then to North Carolina. And I most of my growing up was in North Carolina. But, um, you know, my mom's side of the family are all from West Virginia. Um, and, yeah, I'm Charleston born. <laughs> well, you don't talk like I used to. Well. <laughs> I, every other word was you all. I mean, what are you all doing and... Yeah, I mean, I think you and I both have uh, navigated into other realms where we had to learn to uh, talk differently uh, in order, like, being grad school, you and, you know, the entertainment, creative field, like, probably right. realized you can't talk like that at a certain point, right? I got a D in Shakespeare in New York City at the American Academy. And I really love Shakespeare. And I went to ask the guy, why did I get a D? And he said, anyone who says moon is going to get a D. It's like, oh. oh my God. That was heartbreaking. Oh my God. I'm so sorry that happened. Um, I was my maybe second year of grad school in New York. Um, there was a guy, I won't say who it is, but um, this is one of the first times I'd ever eaten sushi. Um, and this a uh, person who was another grad student who was at this dinner with me and some of these professors said, you hold your chopsticks like a West Virginian. <gasps> Get out. <laughs> That's so hilarious, right? <laughs> I've probably never, ever seen a chopstick in West Virginia. No. <laughs> well, wow. I don't miss West Virginia. I'm going to say that right now. Sorry. I mean, I just don't. I gotta, well, I gotta be honest, I don't miss it either. Um, and it doesn't miss me, let's just put it that way. No, they don't miss me either. <laughs> Actually, they did miss me once I went to a high school reunion. 
I was not that popular in high school, but after I married Richard and went to the high school reunion, you would have thought I had been the homecoming queen. So <laughs> that rang kind of not real to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the uh, high school reunion experience that we all want, right? Right. Yeah, no, they treated me. They were great. It was great. In fact, I know them all on Facebook now. Suddenly, I'm like, you know, popular. <laughs> so <laughs> popular. Um, yeah. So, you know, you had these different phases in your career where you're acting, you're writing, you're producing. Um, how did you come to the job that you specifically the job or the field that you're working in now? Chantal Westerman, who used to be the uh, the Hollywood, uh, inter she did the interviews for Good Morning America, is one of my best friends here. She moved to Sun Valley. I knew her in LA. She used to interview Richard, so I've known her for a long, long time. She is amazing. She's 75 years old. She's beautiful. And she works harder than anyone I've ever met. She got into caregiving and she's the one that got me into it. And, but she does long, long hours. You know, she does overnights. I don't do that. My dogs need me. I, I need to come home. Uh, and she rescues animals like I have. That's one of the things that bonded us first. We, we spent the last decade rescuing a thousand dogs and 80 cats and finding homes for them and spaying and neutering. I got myself broke from doing it that that's why I now work <laughs> <laughs> a thousand dogs and 80 cats yep. yep I used to just drive to far away shelters that were about to kill all the dogs and I'd put them all I'd take them and put them in my car I didn't know what I was going to do with them but I'd take them straight to the vet get them spayed and neutered and shots and, and whatever they needed some of them needed surgery they needed all kinds of things and then I would try to figure out how to get them home so this house was full of dogs I still have oh the beagle that I just put out was kicked out of five states started in Ohio wound up in Kentucky kicked out of Kentucky went to Denver kicked out of Denver went to Wyoming the woman got cancer and I took Chester so I've had him for every 17. This sounds exactly like my life Kicked out of Ohio, kicked out of Kentucky, kicked out of Denver, just one after the other. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's so interesting. I, I mean, your 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 experience in life is very different from most of the people I've been interviewing um, for the show, and I mean, for everybody's experience, I guess is you know irreducibly unique in its own way. But like um, the fact that you came from this entertainment world and to care. And the fact that you went from animals to people, um, how did that, how did that transition happen? I love animals more than people. Definitely. I mean, I want to go to animal heaven. If there's a heaven that's just animals, I don't eat meat. I gave it up 15 years ago because I can't eat my friends. And, um, I just, I just love animals so much that I used to not be able to deal with that. Like I couldn't even face the truth. And then when I turned 60, I figured if God let me live to be 60, which is a miracle beyond belief for me, then I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to animals. So I did that. And then I got really broke. So now I take care of older people. But I used to, I started the thing in LA, a Mother's Touch for Children at Children's Hospital, where we threw a birthday party once a month, every month, 
with costumes. We got Mickey Mouse. We had Bart Simpson. We had the turtles, the Ninja Turtles. We had gifts for every child in the hospital, and I loved that. So yes, I have worked with people and loved people, um, but now I just I'm, I'm trying to support myself. But I have a big heart. I'm, I'm my my talent is my heart. Nothing else. Yeah, I can tell. Um, I think one of the things why these interviews are really interesting, um, um, like I mentioned before, you know, I teach at a university and I teach a class that's a pedagogy class. So it's basically about teaching people how to teach. Um, and one of the things I always say in the class, so like the mantra of the class is that like everybody's been a student and everybody's been a teacher. Everybody's taught somebody something and everybody's been taught by somebody else and i think right. that's that's true with care too like everybody's cared for someone or something and everybody's obviously been cared for because they survived infancy i was born dead so <laughs> i was born dead really that's not a metaphor in west virginia in that hospital they told my mother oops we're sorry it didn't make it and then it which is me a nurse looked over and said, it's breathing. <laughs> so they transfused all my blood. I was a blue baby. And I think it killed off just enough brain cells <laughs> so that I'm not brilliant like my siblings, but I'm the street smart, I'm the survivor. The survivor, yeah. I, I, I definitely identify with that too. And maybe maybe the part of your brain that was um, died off was the part that's like greedy or like um, self, you know, the kind of person who just is all about making money and trying to like get... I'm not that person. Yeah, so maybe you lost that part. The part that could take SAT scores and get eight hundreds. <laughs> it killed off the one that like my family, they all knew how to take multiple choice tests really well. I didn't get that. <laughs> well but I did really well in the nursing assistant care class. Better than all the young people, because you know what? They didn't study and I did. Yeah, it's not. It, you're not born knowing all this stuff, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so when was that? When was that that you took this course or this training? Three years ago, so, and I did it just because I was already doing caregiving and I wanted to know more. I I never wanted to work in a nursing home. I was never going to do that heavy labor, lifting right. all these people and stuff. I knew I couldn't do that. I just wanted to know more about. I love studying nutrition. I love studying. If somebody's sick, I'll study it and find out everything I can and figure out how to make them better. I think it's really interesting that you, you know, this is a three-year window of your life in, in one way, but, like, you've obviously been doing this kind of work for a long time, right? Um, I, was, I wanted to ask you about the organization that you mentioned that you, uh, that you founded. Um, how did that come Mother's to be? Touch. A Mother's Touch. Mother's Touch happened because I was diagnosed with lupus in my 20s, and I was very sick, in and out of hospitals forever. And I wanted to show people that if you have lupus, you don't have to die. And I asked them at Children's Hospital, could I go visit? If there were kids there with lupus, could they meet me? And could I show them that they could grow up, they, they could live, and they only had one person with lupus? So I went, they let me go. I went up to the top floor. The person was in rehab. And as I was walking to that 
area, I walked past the kids that were getting dialysis, sitting in there all alone. And I had brought this trip of rings. And I walked in there and I told them, the little girls, they could pick any ring they wanted. And it made them so happy that I, they, the hospital realized that poor kids needed me than just one kid with boots. So it grew and grew and grew and grew. The only place I couldn't go was cancer. The third floor was cancer floor because they always got everything. And one day they had a little boy that was going to die that night who had said to his mother, I wish I had bat wings so I could fly to heaven. And I had Batman and Robin up on the seventh floor. And they came to me and they said, Jeremy, could we take, would you bring Batman and Robin down to meet the little boy? Oh my God, yes, of course we did. And this beautiful little boy who was all puffed up from all the IVs and the drugs, when he saw Batman and Robin and his mother started crying and there's a picture of him with one arm around each. And from that moment on, the third floor was ours. And uh, it, it got so big and I got partners and Ted's wife, Susie Field, was very wealthy to my partner. And so we were able to really do things, like buy specific gifts. We would always call the hospital, what do they need? We had a child that wanted to be in and she couldn't move anything but like her fingers. We got a computer where she could do art with a computer. We tried to meet wigs for the kids, the cancer kids. We'd go and get them real hair wigs. It was the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life with working with the kids at Children's Hospital. And uh, I moved up here. I thought I could do the same thing up here. There was no need for it. There are no kids in the hospital. And so that was the end of that. How did you uh, raise funds or resources for the organization? Well, we, I, my husband was wealthy, and Susie Fields' husband was really wealthy. So we pretty much used our own money. We did go one time to a celebrity, Marjo Gortner, these celebrity fundraisers, and there was one in Ixtapa, Mexico, and O.J. Simpson was there. We had to gather all the, we had to gather all the, the auction items. And O.J., this was about a month before he killed his, you know, mm-hmm. his wife died. <laughs> how, how, how long did you do this organization? Probably about three years. I always wore a pink costume and a hat. I had these hats made. And every month I gave away my hat to somebody, to some child. And uh, I got pictures from parents saying that you know, she never took the hat off before she died. I mean, it was very sad. And then it got so big that Susie grabbed the, the cancer floor. I got the AIDS and the cystic fibrosis kids. And the cystic fibrosis kids, some of them were adults. There was a man, Paul, he was 40 years old. I really, you couldn't win them with with Mickey Mouse and you couldn't win them with this stupid gown. But I loved the adults that were at Children's Hospital. I learned a lot about cystic fibrosis and I always was fighting against Dave. What's, uh, so, I wonder um, about your own experience, if you, um, if you don't mind talking about it. Um, when you were diagnosed with lupus, that was a time when autoimmune diseases were much less understood, much, right, than now? That's right. So how did that affect your own um, 
or, I mean, just, I don't know if you have anything to say about that. I had been sick in my 20s all the time, but nobody ever knew what was wrong with me. I was in the hospital nonstop, and then I had peritonitis five times in one year, and I was living with John Savage, the actor, and I, I think he just thought that I had cancer, he thought I was going to die or something. It was really, we'd be on a trip, and I'd suddenly say to him, could you find a hospital? <laughs> and I'd be like near death. So it was a very bad year. And I got a call. I was working in Burbank at NBC. And I got a call from the doctor who said, we got your blood work back and you have lupus. I didn't know what that meant. Right. I had no idea. I actually took a leave from work that day, went to the hospital library to look it up. It said I had like three years to live. I called the doctor and said, I don't have that. I refuse to have that. <laughs> I don't have that. And he said, well, you do. You know, like, well, I'm not going to die in three years, I told him. I'm not going to die at all. So um, I do think I'm alive because I did change my diet. I mean, at some point, we do whatever we can do. And that was all I could do. But I also went to testify before Congress to get money for lupus research. And uh, I did, when I was married to Richard, um, I went on Larry King and talked about lupus research. They benefited me in, in, in L.A. at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, raising money for lupus. I, I did what I could to try to get the word out because nobody had even heard the word back then. Yeah, I guess I, I, guess I was kind of wanting to circle around uh, in a way to like how your own experience with this illness um, maybe in, in affected or inflected your own uh, work on CARE? It affected my work when I worked in New York at NBC. I was working at Rockefeller Plaza and I loved, I started out as a PA, worked my way up to writer, producer, one air advertise not advertising, promotion. I loved working there. And that was the first time I got peritonitis and wound up in the hospital. And I was also playing nurse Samantha Tolliver, Sam Tolliver on the doctors. So that kind of really affected being on that show, playing a nurse, and it affected my writer, producer, PA job. And I moved then to LA, wound up getting a job back at NBC in Burbank. But then it, I was in Burbank sitting in my office when I found out I had lupus. So it, it makes it hard because no, who wants you to be sick all the time? Nobody. No. no. But now I don't get sick anymore. So it's really weird. And I, I still want people to know that you don't have to die from lupus. I did the cover of People magazine and it said the power of love. It was that same year when, we, when I did all that lupus stuff. And then and we got a divorce. We, when we separated, People magazine's like, no, you can't do that. You can't. Yeah, you can. You can. You really can. You know? Yeah. Sorry. It's a thing that can be done. Yes. Yeah. I, I guess I'm wondering now, I mean, having an autoimmune condition would seem to be very dangerous in the context of COVID. Um, I am very worried. And today at work, I had two different jobs. And one of the jobs was just to go buy all the groceries at four different stores. So I was double masked. But when I had to deliver them, they were supposed to come outside. I wasn't supposed to have to go in. Right. Well, they didn't answer the phone, so I had to go in. 
and there was a physical therapist there with the client. There was her boyfriend was there. There was the caregiver. Nobody had a mask on. I did. And it scares me. It scares me that people here aren't taking it seriously. It scares me that my other client keeps having family members flying in from Santa Barbara, Seattle, whatever. Now I just found out that the person that left for Santa Barbara is sick with what she's calling the flu. Oh, sure. Right. Right. The flu. So it is very dangerous. And I very much want a vaccine. And my two of my kids have called Idaho Health and Welfare trying to find out when can the kids get vaccinated. And unfortunately, since I'm not licensed, because right. I got sick and didn't finish the, the course, I didn't take the test and the 20 hours you have to do in Twin Falls, which is 200 miles round trip to go do all the nursing home stuff. Um, I don't know. I may not get a vaccine for a long time. Yeah, I think it would kill me. I think COVID would kill me. Right. I mean, other than, I mean, obviously, other than like economic necessity, like, what is it that keeps you doing this at such a great risk to your life? That's it? Okay. (laughs) You said it. And also, I'm very responsible, so I wouldn't like, Chester, stop it. (laughs) That's why he was kicked out of all those states. Um, I'm wondering, in, in, in terms of the job that you do now, um, how's your time structured? Like you mentioned, you know, earlier that you don't do overnights, but like, what is the kind of scheduling or what is like the, is there like a lot of time where you're Here's where I try to keep track? I am happy. Like today I only had a two hour real job. That's my kind of job. Tomorrow I have an eight hour. Yesterday was eight hours. The other day when I talked to you, it was 12 hours. That is way too much for me. Right. That, I was exhausted. I couldn't even believe it with no break. I never got a break. By the way, the people I work for, when, when I feed them, like I will cook for them and feed, I don't get to eat. Right. And something I've noticed about when you work on a job, they don't care about you. It's not about you ever. Like we would never think, hey, do you want to eat? <laughs> do you want something to drink? No. You, I, for the first time in my life, packed a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> the other day, knowing that I'd probably starved. <laughs> so, do, uh, just on the question of time, like during that four hours, eight hours, 12 hours, are you constantly working or are there like sort of long, dull periods punctuated by lots of work? At a, in a very concentrated way. I'm just curious about that. I was on one job where the guy would sit and watch TV and we started building puzzles. Like, you know, you just have to do something with your mind. We're not allowed to sit near him, right? Because of coronavirus. <laughs> so and he was busy watching Netflix and you've already cleaned up the kitchen and made his bed and done the done the laundry. And yeah, it was fun just sitting there near him. He liked it. We were there, I was there, but doing a puzzle was great. You could tell that the person running the job didn't appreciate that. Who's the person running the job? You know, it's always different. It's always on that particular job. It was somebody who's a caterer who managed to live in, move into the house so there'd be somebody there. And then she started running the job. So all the caregivers, you know, she makes the schedule. She talks to the family who's far away. 
and uh, I, I wound up quitting. I was told that the line that got me to quit was, you are not his friend, you're just the caregiver. And I said, I'm going to make this easy for you. Why don't you fire me? And she didn't. So then I said, okay, I quit. Because I was this guy's friend and it broke his heart. And I love that job. And, but I couldn't have this person just picking on me all the time. But usually these jobs, what happens is there'll be somebody who wants to be the boss. So one of the caregivers will set it up that they're in they do the schedule. They, but then they also make the book, like a book. That you, there's a book that you sign in. It tells you everything you need to know about the patient. There's a journal that you sign every day saying what you did and what, what went on. I don't know if anybody ever reads that, but we do do that. And so like two of the jobs I'm on right now, the same person set it up and I worked for her. This is new to me um, because I feel like in a lot of the reading I've done, a lot of the interviews I've had, there's, you know, a range of relationships, but there's either kind of like an agency that, uh, that coordinates these things, or there's a family member, uh, you know, a child, a sister, a brother right. who like is the, the right. nexus of like organizing the stuff. But this idea of the role of like the uh, sort of the capo, I guess, like the the, right. <laughs> the caregiver who runs the other caregivers um, who yeah. se sets themselves up in that position. That's kind of new to me. I, and I don't want that job. Never wanted that job. But they are the ones that determine when you work, how often you work. They also get paid extra for the time of setting up the thing and overseeing. And I, I've never actually known how much they get paid. It's just not something I would want. But yeah. the, this particular new job that I'm on, the grown son and I are very close. And he's very close to the other woman. And he said to me, no, she is not the boss. You are both bosses. He said, I consider you equal. He said, don't tell me that she's in charge. You're both in charge. And I like that. Yeah, I really, I really like that egalitarianism too. Um, yeah. You know, it's not just uh, a hierarchy of bosses and and you know people they can push around, boss around. Well, the bosses have been known to like call you up and say, "I'm going to do those hours. We don't need you today." They do. They, there are some that have done that and make other people very upset. Yeah, it's a power trip for some people. Do you wonder, like, how they think about it, these people who are running the jobs, the, the, the power trippers, like, do they, how do, how do you think they think about what they're doing? Do they think that they're doing a very selfless, like, wonderful thing, um, or, or is it very cynical? I, I don't know. I, I can't answer that. I'm trying to think of the sure. answer. There's something that the person that I... I brought her in on this job and let her be the boss. I, the people wanted to hire me. I knew that I didn't have to set up the books and set up the whole thing. So I brought her with me to the initial interview and they needed two people. But, I mean, nobody wants to go to one job seven days a week. And also it's hard to find because it's a two hour job. People don't want two hour jobs. I do like two hour jobs. <laughs> I'm happy with two hour jobs. 
So she became the boss, but then the guy made it very clear, no, we are equal. And now she's about to quit because she doesn't need a two-hour job and I'll find somebody else. So to, to her or other uh, caregivers, a two-hour job just isn't worth it. It's too much. Right. It's too right. much they commuting. Like and... They love the nights. They love the 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. That's where the money is. I've never done a night like that. But add up the hours and you realize that those are the those are the best shifts. Right. Not night to 9 in the morning because you're mostly sleeping. Yeah, I, I, I'm very interested in this question of time. I mean, this is one of the things that I've been asking people um, – um, about as part of the show um, is just like what the experience of time is like um, in a job um, because this is so different from a nine to five like you just show up in an office you clock in you clock out it's not you can walk down the hall you get to go to lunch yeah. right. we can walk out of the you know out of CVS. I used to go to farmer's market just for a break you, there's none of that there's no breaks um and, and what I've been doing lately is crazy. They'll book me zero, nine to one with one job. But at one o'clock, I'm supposed to do another job, and it takes me at least eight minutes driving to get there. And then my next job tomorrow is at three to five. There's no break. I'm supposed to be with her till three, and then that one at three. So it's, it's talk about time management. That's why I took that peanut butter and jelly sandwich the other day. I guess um, before we sort of wrap up, where do you see all of this going for you? Like, I mean, you've obviously been involved in caregiving and raising your own children or uh, mother, or mother's touch or your work with animals. I mean, like so there's a lot of different phases of this, but where do you, where do you think all of it goes? Like what, 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 what do you do next? I think seeing these people that I've worked with makes me so certain that I have doubled down on taking care of myself because I do not want to meet you. <laughs> you do not want to be in the situation where people are coming into your house and trying to manage you. Right. I don't want that. Right. I want to stay as healthy as long as I can. I know a caregiver who's going to take this job. I told you that the one that's the boss on one of my jobs, she mm. wants to ski. She's got too many other jobs to leave. There's a woman who's 81 who wants that job, and she's still doing it. This is a perfect job for her because you don't have to lift anything. There's no heavy lifting. It's basically just, you know, somebody with diabetic. You're, you're, you're checking their sugar. You're making sure they put their pills. You're doing things that she can do. So I think it's cool that someone in their 80s is still caregiving, and she's been doing it for like 30 years. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds like it has, like, multiple dimensions. It's like... A, she's not one of the clients or patients. She's the caregiver, which is much more, you know, is you would rather be one than the other. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's not sitting at home in a rocking chair. She's, like, doing something. Um, well, that's the other thing. At least, hey, if I weren't working and there's this virus going on, and at least it does get you out. It gets you up. It gets you doing other things than watching Netflix. <laughs> I don't think I have many great memories of West Virginia, but I did grow up there. There's, um, well, I don't have many good memories either. Um, 
One of the only things is they're at the at the bottom of the hill where my great grandmother used to live, uh -huh. Ethel Juanita Myers. There's a, a hot dog. This is right outside of Charleston. At the bottom of Scraggs Drive, there's a hot dog place called Skeenies, and <laughs> and their slogan is indescribably different. Oh, that's I was like, me. that's yeah, that's us, right? That's us. That's indescribably me. different. <laughs> Oh, well, Jeremy, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Um, it's been so illuminating and you just had so many great insights to share. So I really appreciate it. Thank you.